Today we begin a new series called Can You See Him? And uh, in the first service I shared this, uh, the title of today's sermon is Eyes to See. And one of the things that happens in your life, especially when you're preparing for a sermon, you don't know where you're going to get your material from. And that's the scariest thing in the world for my family. It is. Uh, Kendra panics over the fact she doesn't know what I'm going to pull out. But yesterday, my eighth grade daughter uh, went to her formal eighth grade dance last night as a way of saying, see you later, eighth grade. I'm ready to go to high school and drive my parents even more nuts, I guess. But as we're sitting in the house, uh, Brett... My 17-year-old and his friend, Sean Lyle, were sitting there with me, and we were in between, I think we were in between, uh, it it might have been makeup time. Um, We had moved her from getting her hair done to the person in the church that was doing her makeup and and all this, so we were sitting there waiting for the makeup time to be done so we could go to picture time. It's just one of those glorious moments. (laughs) I've been a youth minister for 28 years. I am not ready to have two teenagers in high school. But that's enough said. So as we're sitting there, I'm thinking about the sermon and thinking about illustrations. And on the television, as I flipped over, I noticed that the Indianapolis 500 time trials yesterday were rained out. So they were playing last year's Indianapolis 500. And it happened to be in the last 25 laps. And Ray and um, Castro Neves were just going at it. I mean, they're just wheeling around and, and stuff. And Brett and Sean all of a sudden became really engrossed with what was happening on the television. Even so much as my son raised up off the couch and said, Dad, this is even better than NASCAR. Because when you watch those Indy cars, they're just shooting in and out, and, and they're uh, trying to pass each other at 200 miles an hour. And I, I reminded him, I said, you've been on that track before. I said, several years ago, Kendra and I took two of our children, because our third one wasn't with us at that time, and we went to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and we got to go around the track, which is really cool. So he's really into it now, and he's really getting excited, and he's sitting there going, this is going to be close. This is going to be great. So, being a father, as Kendra always points out to me, I have two choices in life. I can be honest with my son and tell him what's going on. Or I can just sit there and watch it play out to my amazement and my amusement. I'm pretty much 100% amazement and amusement, aren't I, Kendra? Yeah. I've punished our kids over the years with that. So we're sitting there, and we're watching the race, and it's winding down. It comes down to the last race, and Ray cuts him off and gets right in front of him down the stretch, and Brett goes, that's awesome, that's awesome. And I just looked at him and smiled as a father would and said, you should have seen it last Memorial Day when they ran it the first time. <laughs> and all the blood left his face, and Brett's coined phrase for me is, you got me again, Dad. So today, we're going to be looking at the way that we see things. And it was really cool to watch the way he was watching the end of that race yesterday and the way that I already knew that it was going to play out because it was really exciting last year. 
And just to see the excitement in his face, uh, I have to interject this. Sean quickly put in and said, Jeff, you missed your opportunity. You should have bet him like a hundred bucks who was going to win. All right. But that's being a youth minister, and that's one of my youth. If you've got your Bibles with you, I ask you to turn to Luke 24. And I debated about this and how I was going to do it, but I am going to read this whole section of verses. We're going to be reading from the 13th verse down to 31. And it's a story that is happening on the day that Christ had come back from the dead. Two gentlemen are on a road getting out of Jerusalem. And if I can set this up, I guarantee you that all the disciples, all the Christian believers at that point in time were pretty on edge because they've already put to death the person who was leading the Christian group, and now they were worried about what was going to happen to them next. So as we pick up in verse 13, it says, Now on that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and started to walk with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas Ask him, says, are you a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there these past days? Now, let me interject. This is the kind of Jesus that I'm really close to because he knows the answer, but just like with my son, he allows them to respond back to those. He says, what does it say? What things? acting like he doesn't know what they're talking about. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was the prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priest and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But what we had hoped was that he was going to be the one that was going to redeem Israel. And then what is more, It is the third day since that took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said to them that he was alive. Then, as only men would do because they won't take the word of a woman, am I right? Some of our companions went to the tomb and found out it was just as the woman said. Do you want me to tell you how many times that's played out in my life? (laughs) Jeff, there's water dripping out of the ceiling. I have to go look at the floor. I have to go look at the ceiling. You're right. The ceiling's leaking. So I've been there. Jesus said to them, he says, How foolish you are and how slow to heart to believe that the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that they had said through the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village, 
to which they were going, Jesus acted like he was going to go on farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. Evening is here. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he had disappeared from their sight. Let's pray together. Father, as we take these few moments, we examine your word. We look at the message that you've brought to us today because it's where we need to be in our lives. And Father, I don't know the things that we carry into this room, but I know that we have an option not to carry them out. That in this room we can find forgiveness, love, and salvation. And if, as we've seen witness through these five that went through the waters today, salvation being the most important thing. So as we digest on your words today, Father, make them pierce our hearts so we understand that we have a job to do. That it's important for us to know how you would have us do that job and how you walk alongside us each day. Thank you for being in this place, and we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. If you've got your little pull-out thing, never did understand this. My father never did this because it just gave me something more to ride on when I was growing up. So as you look at the list of four things that I've listed, you'll see the first one is I listed the statement that it is easier to see God's work as you reflect back in life. In the first hour, I told a different story. I told a story of when I was 10 years old and I went to the beach. And I started thinking about it, praying about it. And I think God wanted me to change something about this because he wanted me to make it a little bit more personal. That's my warning to Kendra when I do that. Kendra and I were married. We met at Cumberland College, fell in love, did all the courtship, got married, and we thought everything was going to be normal in our life. She was going to be a school teacher, and I was going to be a banker. And as we started facing life together and we began our life together, we bought our first house and everything was going good. And then as her mother and my mother conspired to do, about two years into the marriage, they brought up one word. Oh, come on, say it loud. Grandchildren, babies, oh my goodness. And Kendra and I talked about it and we said, you know, we really don't have any reason not to have children. So we began the process of planning and thinking about what it would be like to have children. We didn't know that we were getting ready to begin a journey that would last 10 years. And a lot of people don't know this. Kendra and I have shared this in big groups and small groups and talked to people individually. But it was some time into it when Kendra just said to me, she goes, something's not right. And, and we uh, headed across the river to Christ Hospital, um, and we began to see a doctor. His name was Dr. Awadawa. He was an Egyptian who was a Christian. And over that 10-year period, I can tell you that that man spoke into my life a whole bunch. 
This isn't a sad story because over that 10-year period, people would talk about, oh, you had such a struggle to have your first child. And they said, well, God had the timing. And I realize that people are being polite and, and they're trying to be encouraging when they say all these things. The only thing I say back to that now is God had a better plan. Because over those 10-year period, what happened was I was called into ministry. I began my service as a youth minister at Main Street. And what I didn't realize is that we had been praying to have children, but we weren't prepared for what God was about to lay on us. Because every night, five, six nights a week, a young married couple, and I had teenagers piling into the house. No kidding. We would literally get home from work, roll up, and there'd be people sitting on the stoop of our house waiting to go in. Usually play video games with me, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, poor Kendra. But Kendra got involved, and she worked with the young ladies, the acting girls. And what has happened over our lifetime is where we thought that we wanted to have children of our own, God has blessed us with, and I think at the last count, we were somewhere about 650 or 700 children. And unfortunately, John White's one of them, and I will not take the blame for that, okay? (laughs) He's not in here, so I can say that. My plans, Kendra's plans. When we sat down and we prayed and we started on our journey in our life, we thought this is the way it was going to play out. And what was funny was, while we were blessed with all these kids, the two people that encouraged us to have children, they never got to see them. And when I sit up and I stand in front of a group of students, I'll look at them and I'll say, I truly love you and I want to walk alongside your path. And I can mean that from my heart. And I've had kids come over me over the years. How can you just make that statement and just broadly say that you love me? And I said, it's really easy. I said, because you're supposed to be in my life. God had made that appointment. When I sit down and read this scripture, I'm, I'm quickly reminded of the fact that it was easier after Brett was born for Kinder and I to sit back and say, wow, look at the way we've been blessed. We went through the pain and the crying and the struggling of trying to have our own children. And God said, oh, he says, I've got another plan for you. But God did not leave us. He stuck by our side. He went through our struggle. He even provided for us in our struggle. And he knew the whole time that we would have to get 10 years into our marriage before that started to dawn on us exactly what God's plan was for our life. These two guys were trying to get away from what they thought might be possible trouble. They're looking over their shoulder to make sure nobody's chasing them. And Jesus, in that moment, understood the fact that they needed somebody to walk beside them. In this case, literally, and to talk with them and to comfort them. And when he did that, he stepped out and he said, I will put myself in the place 
where you might not even understand me, you're not going to hug me, you're not going to love me, but you will know one day that I was here. And in that moment, you're going to be thankful for the way that God has worked in your lives. I encourage it. It doesn't matter what you're going through in your life, the struggles, where you are today, what you walked in here. Do not forsake from giving God the, the recognition that he deserves. Because there's been many times in your lives, and I know every one of you can sit there and think about it, that you've gone through a struggle, a hurt, or a pain in your life, and God has ended up blessing you. Or you've learned from it. You struggled. Yesterday, I get a text from one of my dear friends, who if it wasn't for me, she wouldn't be married right now. Her name is Kylie Blair. And Kylie lives in Owen County. She volunteered to be a women's chaperone on a youth trip to London. Brian, her husband now, was a male chaperone, didn't know each other. By the end of the trip, they were together. They're married. They have all these little red-headed kids running around. They're blessed. She has just gone through the biggest tragic cancer ordeal that any young woman should have to. And coming out of it, she has such a spirit and a desire to go out and share with people that are going through that struggle. That's what I'm talking about. In the moment of the pain, we lose focus to who we put our trust in. Work hard, work diligently not to do that. It doesn't matter what that pain or that struggle is. Always find a way to thank God for what He's already done for you. Second point is this. It's hard to see God through the pain. Or, I mean, God will give us eyes to see, excuse me. And I remember this story being told about this mother who had lived her life and she didn't have a lot growing up. And she had made a decision in her life that she wanted her daughter to have the things and the opportunity to do things that she didn't have to do. And that's such an awesome and desirable thing for a parent. As I'm a history major, I can tell you from when World War II ended, the mind thinking of that generation. They wanted to make sure their kids didn't have to suffer or struggle the way they did, so they tried to make it a little bit better. And every generation's done, tried to do that. Unfortunately, we've gotten to the point where now we've gotten, we just hand it to them. And we struggle in this country because people don't appreciate the things they have. They think that it's just there and it's just deserved. But this woman, as she sat down and she thought about this thing, she said, one of the things that I wanted to do is always to be able to take horseback riding lessons. So she got her 10-year-old daughter and she took her down to the local stable and she told the lady, she goes, I don't have a lot of money, but I want to work this out so my daughter can take riding lessons. She loves horses. And they worked out a deal. And while she's sitting there on that first day watching her daughter, she's sitting there feeling sorry for herself. Saying, that should have been me. I wish I could have done that. I wish that I would have had the opportunity to ride. And she got in the car that afternoon. She drove back home. Her daughter went out to play, and she went in her daughter's room to uh, clean up, straighten up. And she found a homework assignment that this young lady had been working on. And on the outside of it just says, me book. 
she opened the first page, and the girl, to the best of her recollection and through the stories that everybody told her, described what it was like being one-year-old. She flipped the page, and she looked at the next page, and it said what it was like to be two years old. All the way to the ninth year. And as she read that, she read the ups and downs of this girl, the struggles, the comparisons that she made to other kids that had stuff and she didn't. And she kind of dreaded it, but she took that last that page and she flipped over the 10th page. And the only thing it said was beginning. See, the teacher's assignment wasn't so they wrote down just what they remember about growing up but it was to give them a point of reference in their life to where they were that point and how things can change and how things can get better in that moment. When these two gentlemen are traveling down the road to Emmaus and Jesus confronted them and started talking with them, it said immediately that their eyes went downward. These are people that sat amongst Jesus, were there to see miracles, And their eyes went downward because their perception of what life should have been was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was supposed to come back and set all the Israelites free to wipe out the Romans. There was not supposed to be this struggle anymore. And God was going to set up his kingdom. This is the answered prayer. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, they were dumbfounded. And that morning, they were hard to explain where Jesus' body was. And the only thing that they can think of is that they were moving out of the city. And they were going back to their homes. When the mother confronted the daughter about the book and said, you know, you you got in your little book, it says beginning. What does that mean to you? And she says, Mom... She goes, I've seen you struggle to give me the things that you want me to have. And I know that I've got things that you never had. And I appreciate that. Because I know that you've given me a sense of faith in my life. And it's simply, you are passing on the things that God is giving you. When you're looking for God... Don't ever hesitate to think that he's not going to give you the eyes to see and the opportunity to see the things. We just have to develop the right way to be able to use that sight. The third thing is, it's hard to see God through the pain. Now, when I pulled this one up and I started thinking about this, I went to Pete the other day. I said, I have to go back to my childhood. And when I go back to my childhood, It's a reference about a show that I used to watch, and it's going to appear here on the screen. And many of you watched this show with me, wherever you were. I can tell you, and Kendra will tell you, that I'm a mashaholic. I can sit, and thank goodness for Netflix, they have every episode. I can sit there and just watch one after the other. And here is the thing about it was, when I watched MASH, there was a lot of funny stuff that went on. I love the fact 
that Burns always got practical jokes. I can remember them digging a hole, yelling air raid, him jumping the hole, and then parking a Jeep so he couldn't get out. I can remember all these things about MASH, but as I've gotten older and I watch the show, there's some other dynamics that play out. When I watch MASH, I remember the fact that these are people that were thrust into war. And while that struggle was going on around them, there were times in which bombs were exploding, even in their own compound. They were also thrust together with people that had different political, religious, and ideological thoughts. And when those people were thrust together, there was a little bit of confrontation. They would pick and they would pull and they'd make fun of each other. They would yell at each other. They would scream. They'd try to get each other kicked out of the camp. All that stuff happened in the midst of that show. But the one thing that I'm drawn to is this. That when Radar would go, wait for it, everybody in that camp stopped and watched his face. Because they knew at that moment there were going to be helicopters full of bodies of injured people that needed care for And I don't know if you ever picked up on this in MASH, but the story of MASH is about a unit that had a 98% survival rate. All of those broken pieces that didn't get along and didn't mash well together on the social side, when they would enter that operating room, they would do 100% everything in their power to save the life. They always knew what the mission was. And their eyes never deviated from that when they were on job. And a lot of times as Christians, we get caught up in this thing that, you know, our expectations don't meet what God's expectations are. And you know what? Because of that, my eyes aren't focused over here, so I don't see this person hurting and I don't see this struggle. And really, that's not any intent of God's. That's totally from our heart. And I'll say the S word from the pulpit today. Not the one you're thinking of. That is exactly Satan's plan. There is a term for Satan that I usually use when I'm talking about him. It's not the devil. It's not the, red, the horn guy. It's not the pitchfork. It's the great deceiver. Because in the midst of everything, Satan wants to deceive you and take your focus away from what is perfect and what's holy and what's God's and move it to something that's petty and something that you're willing to push about and you're willing to fight about and struggle about. And while that's going on, there are people that are on this earth that are dying and going to hell. See, Jesus Christ, he might not have told him who he was, but when he went and accepted their invitation and he sat down at the table, he was teaching them. It said he was speaking about the prophets of old, talking about the way the world was, talking about God's history, God's plan. And he goes into their house and he sits down with them at night to rest, but he sits at the table and he breaks the bread. The next line is, their eyes were open and they could see him. And I'm a firm believer 
that in churches across this world, that if Christians don't understand that the gift that we have when we walk in these doors every week, it is our opportunity for God to remind us, I'm here for you. Yeah, God's always here. He's out there too. Unfortunately, we only pick up on the part that he's here. I got to go Sunday and give some moments to God. I got to... Moments aren't enough. It's a struggle for life. And Jesus' point was the fact that your job's not done. As a matter of fact, the verses that follow that talk about the fact that these men got up from that table and they got back to work. They went back to the people to tell them what had happened to them. The fact that they had had a, a moment, a blessed moment with the Savior. And while people in Jerusalem were still worried about where the body was, did the gardener take it, did he take it, was it the Roman soldier's fault, whatever it was, he is standing on the road to Emmaus with two guys saying, you got a job to do. And I have to be reminded of that in my life every day. Jeff wakes up with a plan every day. And I've, I'll tell you, that day usually runs really cruddy if I ask God and our plans don't intersect and they don't match up. So don't be afraid to make the adjustments you need so you don't get anybody that's left behind. The last one is that God's hand is in your life. Just a few moments you're going to see a video. And you're going to have this young man over here explain to you on a video about how that God is able to work through our hands and our feet to meet the needs of other people. And I can't help but think today that while I'm standing up here on the pulpit, There's somebody in a jail cell. There's somebody that's on my street. There's somebody laying in a hospital bed. Somebody getting ready to go to school tomorrow. Or somebody that sits by me at Wendy's or Gold Star or City Barbecue. I know. It's been a long week with food with me. I don't want to know how much I weigh now. But the point is there's people everywhere that need to know Christ. And God's hand in our life isn't for us just to hold on to and keep it to ourselves. It's for us to, in turn, take that hand and push it towards somebody else. So today, I challenge you to think of someone or something in your life that you know that you can make a difference in your life. Don't be like these guys from Emmaus and have your eyes cast downward. Get your head up. Our Savior lives. Get your head up. Sun shines. We keep moving forward. We're blessed in so many ways. And while we might not understand it, while we might not agree with it, God's plan is perfect.
And if it takes us 10 years to understand how all this stuff works out in all of our lives with all the people that we come in contact with, so be it. But hopefully we recognize the way that God works a lot sooner than that. My God's alive. My Savior is risen. Like Kent said, if that doesn't remind you of what this is all about, come on up, I'll pray with you. If you walked in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you've got no idea what that means when I use that big churchy term, come on down here and talk to me. It just simply means that God does not want you to walk through your life and your struggles. He doesn't want you to have to make decisions on your own. He is willing to meet you at that place. And I'll be happy to share with you how that works. We have an altar. These steps might not look like an altar in Old Testament times, but it's a place for you to come and just unburden yourself. You have a choice today to walk out of these doors the same person or a person with a plan. And I know what I'm praying for you for, to have you plan and have a vision for your life. We also have communion down here. Especially in this sermon, when you sit there and you read about Jesus Christ himself breaking the bread and passing the wine and their eyes being open. Maybe that's what you need today. Maybe it's with your family. You come down here and you share in a time of communion and you allow your eyes to be open for what God wants you to do in your life. I say it to my youth and I'm going to say it to you. I love each and every one of you. And when you hurt, I hurt. But when you rejoice, I'm going to be the loudest and most obnoxious person yelling and screaming behind you. Because we're family. And don't you ever lose sight of that. So the altar's open.